Well, good morning, and I have a, a tough job following that, right? Uh, it's so good to be here. It's so good uh, to see and experience just a taste of what God has been doing here at Southlands during uh, this past week. And I want to welcome you uh, again uh, to our service and just thank you for being here. Especially thank you to all of you parents who are here with all of you kids who are here right now. Um, we just appreciate you and we're so glad we've been able to serve you uh, during this week. Well, most of you know, um, if you don't, let me let you know that this summer we have been exploring uh, the book of Psalms together. And today we're going to be digging into Psalm 78 and we're going to be thinking about what it means to pass the faith on to the next generation, the most important thing in life. You know, someone once said that the church is always just one generation away from extinction. And though this will never happen because Jesus promised uh, that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would never prevail against it, that statement does highlight a truth, the undeniable importance of us passing the faith along to the next generation. Because if we don't tell them, if we don't train them, if we don't help them to see the goodness of the gospel and the glory of God in Jesus Christ, the consequences are enormous. And you know what happens all the time? It happens all the time where families uh, experience this, parents failing to pass the faith on or maybe children failing to receive what their parents are attempting to pass on. And that's what this Psalm 78 is all about. And so today, I want us, in light of just vacation Bible school that we've just been through this week, uh, working with our children, in light of the fact that school is beginning um, in the weeks that are ahead, I want us to take some time today to think about this message of this psalm. And it is a very long psalm, which you're about to discover. It's actually the longest of all of the, the psalms known as historical psalms. There's 72 verses, and we are going to read all 72 verses, okay? Now, some of you, that makes you nervous. And uh, just let me, know, let, let me let you know, I'm not going to preach verse by verse through all 72 verses. And all God's people said, that was a little enthusiastic, you know, right there. Um, but we're going to focus on this, and I want you to really hear it. And so I'm going to ask you to do something we don't always do sometimes, but not always. And that is for us to stand together uh, while we read God's word. So would you stand? The verses are going to be on the screen. I'm going to lead us as we read. You listen to uh, the word of the Lord. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. 
the warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors on the plain of Zon in the land of Egypt. For he divided the sea and led them through, making the waters stand up like walls. In the daytime, he led them by a cloud and all night by a pillar of fire. He split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them water as from a gushing spring. He made streams pour from the rock, making the waters flow down like a river. Yet they kept on sinning against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. They even spoke against God himself, saying, God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yes, he can strike a water, a rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. When the Lord heard them, he was furious. The fire of his wrath burned against Jacob. Yes, his anger rose against Israel, for they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. But he commanded the skies to open. He opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna for them to eat and gave them the bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels. God gave them all they could hold. He released the east wind in the heavens and guided the south wind by his mighty power. He rained down meat as thick as dust, birds as plentiful as the sand on the seashore. He caused the birds to fall within their camp and all around their tents. The people ate their fill. He gave them what they craved, but before they satisfied their craving, while the meat was yet in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and he killed their strongest men. He struck down the finest of Israel's young men. But in spite of this, the people kept sinning. Despite his wonders, they refused to trust him. So he ended their lives in failure, their years in terror. When God began killing them, they finally sought him. They repented and took God seriously. Then they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer, but all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They did not keep his covenant. Yet he was merciful and forgave their sins and did not destroy them all. Many times he held back his anger and did not unleash his fury. For he remembered that they were merely mortal, gone like a breath of wind that never returns. Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved his heart in that dry wasteland. Again and again, they tested God's patience and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power and how he rescued them from their enemies. They did not remember his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders on the plain of Zon. For he turned their rivers into blood so no one could drink from the streams. He sent vast swarms of flies to consume them and hordes of frogs to ruin them. He gave their crops to caterpillars. Their harvest was consumed by locusts. He destroyed their grapevines with hail and shattered their sycamore figs with sleet. He abandoned their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. He loosed on them his fierce anger, all his fury, rage, and hostility. He dispatched among, against them a band of destroying angels. He turned his anger against them. He did not spare the Egyptians' lives, but ravaged them with the plague. He killed the oldest son in each Egyptian family, the flower of youth throughout the land of Egypt. But he led his own people like a flock of sheep, guiding them safely through the wilderness. He kept them safe so they were not afraid, but the sea covered their enemies. 
He brought them to the border of his holy land, to this land of hills he had won for them. He drove out the nations before them. He gave them their inheritance by lot. He settled the tribes of Israel into their homes. But they kept testing and rebelling against God most high. They did not obey his laws. They turned back and were as faithless as their parents. They were as undependable as a crooked bow. They angered God by building shrines to other gods. They made him jealous with their idols. When God heard them, he was very angry and he completely rejected Israel. Then he abandoned his dwelling at Shiloh, the tabernacle where he had lived among the people. He allowed the ark of his might to be captured. He surrendered his glory into enemy hands. He gave his people over to be butchered by the sword because he was so angry with his own people, his special possession. Their young men were killed by fire. Their young women died before singing their wedding songs. Their priests were slaughtered and their widows could not mourn their deaths. Then the Lord rose up as though waking from sleep, like a warrior aroused from a drunken stupor. He routed his enemies and sent them to eternal shame. But he rejected Joseph's descendants. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah and Mount Zion, which he loved. There he built his sanctuary as high as the heavens, as solid and enduring as the earth. He chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people say, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, that was a really, really long passage to read. And I wanted to read it for a couple of reasons in particular. First and most importantly, I wanted you to hear and I wanted you to experience the entire story of Psalm 78. But as I was thinking about reading it, I also wanted to read it for another reason. I thought it would be important, and that reason is this. We have a hard time paying attention that long, right? And um, I wonder, <laughs> uh, you don't need to raise your hands at all, but how many of you found your minds wandering sometime during that reading? How many of you found yourselves thinking things like, how long is this going to go on? I don't even know what he's reading. I don't even know what this is talking about. And I wanna point out that the real reason for that is that many of us haven't read the Bible enough to actually understand the stories that are being referenced in this psalm. So the problem there is not with the psalm, the problem is with what, us, right? And that really, I think, highlights the utter importance of what we're gonna talk about today, the importance of knowing God's word ourselves so that we can pass our faith along to the next generation. And what an important truth to consider while you look around this room and you see all of these children in yellow shirts, amen? I mean, God is just putting it right in front of us. The importance of us passing our faith 
along, challenging us. Are, are, we, are we doing that? And how can we do that better? Now, what we're gonna do today um, is focus our attention on the first eight verses of this psalm, which is kind of the foundation for the narrative that follows. And, and again, if you'll look at it, the, the psalmist whose name is Asaph, he begins by saying, oh, my people, listen to my instructions. He says, I'm gonna teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. So he's talking about past generations, what God has done among his people in the past. Verse four, then we see, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. So this is about future generations. And by the way, if you are memorizing a verse from Psalm each, the book of Psalms each week that we're giving you, this is our verse for this week, Psalm 78, four. And then verse five is about past generations again, God issuing his laws, giving his instructions, commanding his people to teach you know, their children. And then he again transitions to the future in verse six. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. And then verse seven says, so each generation should set its hope anew on God. And I, I just love this. I mean, listen, think what's happening here. There's at least four generations in his view. You have the fathers and then you have their children and then you have the children not yet born, that would be the grandchildren. And then you have their children, which would be the great-grandchildren. He's just this big scope. He's thinking generationally like we need to think. You know, I wanna just point out, I mean, some of us, we pray for our children and we pray all kinds of things for our children, right? We pray things like, Lord, watch out for my child while they're, in the womb, that child that's not yet born. Some of you are praying that prayer right now. I'm actually praying that prayer right now, not because I'm gonna give birth, but my daughter, Abby, is about to give birth to my fourth grandchild, and I wanna make you a promise. I know, I know, I know you wanna see them. The pictures will soon be here. I'm gonna show you those. But you're praying for children even before they're born. And then when they're born, what do you pray? You, you, you pray, you know, maybe, may they be healthy, and then a little bit after that, you are praying with desperation, Lord, please, please let them sleep through the night, <laughs> right? And then you're praying, you know, Lord, keep my child safe as they go off to school. Please protect them from danger. And sometimes they get sick and you pray, Lord, please heal my child. And they get a little older and you're praying, Lord, help them to say no to drugs and other things that would harm them. And you're praying, Lord, help them to choose and find the right friends. And, and then it's, Lord, will you please lead her to the right college? And then, then you pray after that, and Lord, please let us win the lottery so we can pay for college. <laughs> and then you're praying, Lord, let him meet a nice girl that he can marry. And sometimes you're praying, Lord, please don't let her marry that guy. And sometimes, this is some of your prayers, Lord, please, please, Lord, make him move out. <laughs> but we pray for our kids, right? And here's what I wanna ask. Are we praying in all of the prayers that we should be praying for our children? Are we praying specifically for our boys to grow up? 
to be the men that God created them to be? Are we praying for our, our girls to grow up to be the women that God created them to be? Are we praying that our children will have spouses that honor and love the Lord? And are we praying? Even if you have kids still in school, are we praying for the children that will one day be born from their marriages? Are you praying for grandchildren that haven't even been born yet? And then what about, like the psalmist says, praying for their children, your great-grandchildren, maybe children you'll never see? My dad passed away less than three years ago. He's never met any of my grandchildren. Something I wish could have happened, but I know he prayed for them. Are you praying for kids that are gonna come, you know, from your family line. And here's the thing to think about. When we're praying like this, when we're thinking like this, it totally changes our parenting, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm praying like that, I, I'm gonna find myself asking more and more and more, how can I love and lead my children and not just for their sake, but for their children's sake and for the sake of their children's children? I mean, what can I do to pass on the gospel of God's grace and greatness and, and glory to the generations that are yet to come? That's what Psalm 78 is about. Now, there are two main headings we're gonna look at uh, with this psalm, and the first one's where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time, and it's the simple statement, what God calls us to do. And I wanna point out four things that this psalm calls us to do as God's people who pass the faith along to tell the next generation, and we're gonna go through them as quickly as, um, well, it's actually as quickly as you guys can listen, and I don't really know how long it's gonna take you to listen Today, but I hope you'll listen quickly for the sake of your children that are with you. But there's four things I wanna talk about and then we'll talk practically about what this means and looks like in our home. So first, what God calls us to do, first of all, most importantly, teach the next generation the scriptures. Verse four, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. We will tell. And then verse five says that God gave his statutes, his laws, which is his word. He gave them for a purpose so that we would teach them. That's the point. They're not just there to read. They're there to learn and absorb and live out and teach. And so we have God's word, so we would want to pass God's word on to the generations. And I wanna make kind of a little point here, because some of you, this will be you right now. You're going, well, I don't know this really applies to me, Mike. I don't have any kids in my home. My kids are all grown up, or I never had kids, or something like that. Well, this is a word for the people of God. I mean, you need to understand that this psalm wasn't just read in family devotions. This psalm was given to be read in a gathering of God's people like this one, and so it's for all God's people, and the reality is if we think properly, we all have children in our lives, members of our extended family maybe, or kids who live in our neighborhoods, or teenagers you encounter in the course of your daily life, and you know some of you, you work professionally with kids as teachers, or childcare workers, or medical professionals, and others of you, you work with children in your community, maybe as a volunteer coaching sports, or a volunteer at school, or something like that, and if you're part of the Southwinds family, whether you realize it or not, you have children in your life. And honestly, 
that's what this was showing you. If you didn't get it, these are your kids too. They're, they're your kids too. And the good news, they're sort of like grandkids. You don't have to raise them. You don't have to feed them. All you have to do is pray for them if they're not your kids, but they're your kids too. And, and, and so, you know, um, as we are gathered as God's people, we should be people thinking about the children in our lives and, and thinking, how can I be part of their spiritual development? How can I, whoever I am, wherever I'm living, whatever's going on in my life, how can I be part of telling the next generation? Have you ever stopped to think about what helps uh, children grow up and maintain their faith as adults? There was a study done a few years ago, a major research project. It was called the National Study of Youth and Religion. It found three factors, and I wanna put them on the screen for you to see. Uh, Parents, first of all, who practice faith in their home and in daily life, not just in public church settings, not just coming to church. But then look at this. Second, at least one significant adult mentor or friend other than parents who also practice faith seriously. And then at least one significant spiritual experience before the age of 17. Do you see how it involves all of us? All of us can play a part. And this is what it takes. This is what makes it most likely that those children, maybe the child sitting around you who's in first or second grade right now, that 20 years from now, they're still gonna be walking with with Jesus. It's gonna take things like this. And so even if you don't have kids, I mean, we're all involved in this. God calls every one of us to be involved in his grand story of telling the next generation. You know, one simple way that you can take a step to participate, Chris mentioned it a few moments ago, I wanna say it again, is, you know, come to our, our prayer meeting this, this Wednesday. You know, we're gonna all gather here. It's for everybody. We're gonna have childcare for the real little ones and we're gonna pray. This meeting's gonna be focused on praying for the beginning of our school year and all that's gonna be coming up. So we can all be part of this. There's a couple of uh, very insignificant verses. Maybe you know them, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, that talk about uh, how this all happens as as part of the flow of daily life. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So all the time, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, we are teaching our children God's word. We're telling the next generation. What does that mean specifically? Well, let me give you three specific things that 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 means to teach the scriptures. Number one, we teach the next generation who God is. Are you telling your children who God is? We teach them about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. We we, we tell our children that everything begins and ends with God, that he alone is the supreme creator, that he alone is the sustainer and the ruler over all, and that he alone is ultimate. We're not, we're not here at church to teach our kids some nice rules to keep so that they won't embarrass us. We're not here to teach them some religious rituals that they can practice that will, that will make us proud. We teach them God, who God is. And I hope you realize how countercultural that is. 
because everything in our culture, day after day after day, everything our kids hear at school, everything they get from social media and the screens that they are watching so constantly are telling them that they are the center of the universe, not God. What they're getting is the message that all that really matters is what you feel, what you think. And is it any wonder that we see what we see in our culture? And so I I simply want to challenge you as parents. Are you teaching your children, telling them who God is? Secondly, we teach the next generation what God has done. We teach them about his mighty wonders, verse four says. And really, that's what the rest of Psalm 78 is recounting, all that God has done in the history of his people. The psalmist says, tell them about the plagues. I mean, tell your little boys about the frogs. They're gonna like that story. They're even gonna like the story about the fleas. You know, I mean, you could tell them the stories and you see all these stories referenced here. Tell them about God's promise and provision of manna from heaven, of quail falling from the sky, how God fed his people. Tell them how God has been providing for his people from generation to generation to generation. And then third, we teach the next generation what God has said. Verse five says, he issued his loss to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. And what this means is something that so many of us, I think, forget or just neglect, but this book, parents, is the center of the instruction that you are to be giving your children. Is this book, the word of God, supreme in what you're passing on to your kids? Or are you more concerned about what they're gonna get in other books? See, we need to understand that if God has spoken, what else is as important for us to pass on to our children? And maybe we should just stop right here and kind of do a little bit of a check. But let me just ask, I need to know, do we believe, Southwinds, that this book, the Bible, is the word of God? Do we? Amen. Then we need to prioritize it. We need to tell them. We need to tell them about who God is, what God has done, what God has said. I mean, and just think about it. If God has spoken... What else is as important for us to tell our our children? I mean, how to play baseball? How to be a great soccer player? How to win a dance competition? I mean, how to get great grades in science or, or, or math? I mean, all of these things are good in proper perspective. I'm not saying you shouldn't focus on any of those things. But are you focusing on those temporary things to the neglect of eternal things? See, I think the reality for a lot of us parents is that we are focused and worried and concerned and we're so, we're so driven. I want to help my kid have a, an education so they can make a lot of money, they can live a good life now. <laughs> and we're just kind of hoping for the best when it comes to eternity. Hope, hope works out. I mean, is, is, is that understanding what really matters in life. See, more than anything else, we teach the word of God because the word of God is the only thing that's gonna last. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, God says, but my words will never pass away. And so from generation to generation, it is this word, God's word, that stands forever. It's the rock on which our children and their children and their children and their children can stand for eternity. So give them God's word. Teach them the scriptures. And then second, we tell them the stories. Tell the next generation the stories. And that's the beauty of this psalm. I think, it, it, like I said, it's the longest of the historical psalms. And, and when you read through it like we did, what you're actually seeing is story after story, account after account of God's work among God's people. And, and so you, you get this picture of passing faith on to the next generation. What we're doing when we help them connect to a story like this, the stories in the Bible, is we're telling our kids they're part of a story bigger than they are. It's bigger than us. You know, when we actually sit down and read the Bible to our kids and help them understand what God has said in his word, we're letting them know they're not the first kids to come along. We're not the first parents. There's, it's just to begin and end with our family. And part of what happens here is we want our children to know the world doesn't revolve around them. And let me just ask you, how many of you, your kids, naturally think the world revolves around them? I mean, you have to teach that out of them, right? We have to help them see something bigger than us. And, and the Bible helps people understand that history revolves around God, that this universe is about God, the one who created it. And he is just weaving together this grand story and it's made up of all of our individual stories. So we take time to do this. And you know, how you do this in your family is gonna be up to you. It's gonna be uh, different for every family. But there has to be some time in our families where we're actually sitting down and just talking about God's word. It isn't just what happens at church on Sundays. It happens at home, in our, our homes. And, and, and you know, one of the things that I'm remembering now, because our kids are, are grown up, and um, I'm looking back, you know, at, at, at 20 some years of raising four children, and I'm remembering some of those times when we were reading the Bible stories to our kids, and they were little kids, and to be real honest, it was frustrating at times. It didn't always work. You didn't think they were really paying any attention sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody's ever tried this? You know, you look over at one kid and he's like picking his toes. You know, and in our house, there was another kid that was always shooting Spider-Man webs, you know? I mean, you know, we're talking about Moses and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's flying from building to building. And, and that's just how it was. And it doesn't always seem like it's taking. But when we know we're part of something bigger than us, it gives us the, the strength to, to persevere, to know we're not the first ones that did this. And there, there probably were kids thousands of years ago who were picking their toes and picking other parts of their body and you know just thinking of other things going on, not paying attention. But we do this, we tell the stories because many times they're listening even when we think they're not. And those stories shape us and form us. You know, researchers have discovered uh, what wise parents and leaders have always known, that it is stories, stories far more than rules or principles or commands that determine our values. In fact, I'll say it this way. We learn who we are by stories. The stories 
that we value. They, they guide how we're gonna live. And, and, and understanding this reality is a huge part of understanding why we have seen such a massive shift in the values and the morals uh, and beliefs in our culture in just the last few years. Because friends, let's just be honest, there are people in our culture who are telling stories much more effectively than we are. They are telling stories much more compellingly than we are, even though their stories are not true. And the stories that are being told all boil down to this. They are the stories of the sovereign self. That's what your children are being told, that they are sovereign selves, that they alone determine reality, that they alone determine who they are and what they believe, that it is up to them, they, that they, they alone are the ones who can decide. Our world is telling the story that this world, what you see around us, that's really all there is, and then you die. So you have to enjoy it while you can. That's the story that's out there. And these stories are all around us. And your kids, if you don't know it, your kids are taking these stories in on social media, these stories they hear at school, the stories they see on their screens. And many of them are absorbing and buying in. And those stories are guiding their lives. Are you telling them true stories? God's stories? I was reminded of a, a true story uh, that I read about a few years ago. There is a man named Timothy Dalrymple. He's 44 years old now, and he recently became the editor of Christianity Today, which is a, a very significant publication. But about 25 years ago, he was the NCAA's top-ranked uh, male gymnast as a sophomore at Stanford until he had an accident with gymnastics where he broke his neck and it ended his career. And in God's providence, that disaster just opened up opportunities for him to deepen his faith. He went on to graduate from Stanford. He got a master's degree from Princeton and a PhD from Harvard. And some of you right now, if you've been around Tracy very long, this sounds familiar because some of you have heard this name. You know, maybe you remember that Tim grew up in Tracy. He graduated from Tracy High. Some of you know that his dad, Galen, was an elder and a pastor at a Tracy church. And a few of you may remember that a few years ago, Galen and his wife, Laurel, attended Southwinds for a year or so before they, they, they moved to another state. And after this accident, Tim was lying on his back, looking at the ceiling. He had a lot of time to think. And this is what he said. He said, even as a child, I had a philosophical bent and spent a lot of time thinking about all sorts of ultimate questions, especially the question of whether there is some sort of existence beyond death. And I don't know which one I found more terrifying, that there would be some existence or that there would not. And yet when he was asked what helped him grow in his faith, he said, it was the example of my father, not only as a pastor, but as a genuinely loving, faithful, righteous person. I saw in his life something undeniably true that I couldn't explain away. Can your children see the reality of God and his grace and his life, his power in your life? Are they seeing that story? We have to begin by telling them the stories that God has worked in his people for thousands of years. The third thing we need to do is 
something I think that makes some of us really uncomfortable, and it is this, warn the next generation about sin. Now, if you look at this psalm carefully, in fact, some of you may have thought, that was a pretty negative psalm. There's all this stuff about God getting mad all the time. God's always getting mad, you know, and people are always doing bad stuff. Well, you need to realize this psalm, a big part of it is a warning. And the flow of the psalm is kind of this cycle of, of showing how God worked among his people and then how his people, you know, turned from God and, and how God brought them back to him. And this happens over and over again. And this is really what we see in the stories in the scriptures, how, how the people of God, despite the grace of God, sometimes don't trust the hand of God and they turn from him and go their own way. And God has to bring them back. And that takes, that takes some difficult things happening many times. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has a passage that talks about all that happened as God brought his people out of the, uh, the land of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness. Verse six says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. In fact, you should understand the whole Old Testament is written for you as an example to save you from destruction to keep you from turning to evil things, setting your hearts on them. God gave us the Old Testament as a warning. Paul says in verse seven, do not be idolaters as some of them were. And then he talks about how they turned from God and they tested God and how they paid the penalty for their sin, how many of them were destroyed. And then in verses 11 and 12, he said this, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as what? Warnings, warnings for us. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, realize as you read the stories in the Bible, this could happen to you. The same thing could happen in your life. It could happen in my life. And when we get that, it brings the Old Testament to life to realize, to realize that God has given us all these stories to teach us, to guard us, to guard our families, to guard this church from the ravages of sin so that we might warn each other, so that we might warn our children. Do you warn your children about what sin will do in their life? Do you ever tell your children about your failures? Now, Depending on what your failures were, there may need to be some wisdom and timing and discretion, and there probably are some things that you don't ever really wanna tell your children. But I think some of us think we should never tell our children about the things we did because we think that will give them permission to do the same thing. I think that's an erroneous idea. Because if you tell your children about the things you did that you don't want them to do and about the pain you experienced because you did those things, I think there's a good chance your kids will say, that didn't work out so well for dad or mom. I better not try it. And some of you, you did a lot of stuff and your kids, because you have become a Christian and you bring them to church, your kids think mom or dad never did all that fun stuff. I need to try. And they don't know, mom or dad did that fun stuff and it ruined my life for years. They don't know that you did some stuff 
and you still have pain. You're still suffering regret. Maybe part of warning them is to let them know what you've gone through so they don't do it. That there are dreadful consequences when you turn from God, that turning from God leads to destruction and judgment and his judgment is real. So, so son and daughter, don't turn from God. Follow him, he's good. Don't test him, trust him. You know, this is what we wanna pass on to the next generation. Here's the last thing. Number four, focus the next generation on God's mercy. We tell them about his mercy toward his people. We tell the next generation about how God's grace triumphs over man's sin. And a couple things you can write down. The story of Israel is the story of how God responds to his people's failures with forgiveness. That God's forgiveness and compassion is the only reason that this story keeps going in the Old Testament. And then the Old Testament is always also the story of how God responds to his people's faithlessness with faithfulness. How God, even when you were faithless, was faithful to you. Have you been faithless at any time in your life and God responded with faithfulness? Amen. God is good. He is so good. And we can tell them that. And then it gets even better, you know, when we realize Psalm 78 is not the end of the story, when we realize that all of this recounting of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and faithfulness ultimately does not point backwards, but it points forward to Christ, God's promised son, God in the flesh, who would come to this earth to pay for the price for all of our failures, to endure the penalty for all of our faithlessness. And so I wanna just say, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't believe in him yet, you have never placed your faith in him, you've never trust him to forgive your sins, and we here at Southlands have a story to tell you, and it's a good story. Every one of us, every one of us has turned aside from God. Every one of us has sinned and gone our own way. We have turned aside to other gods. We have turned aside to ourselves, and it looks different in each one of our lives, but we've all done it. God, though, in his mercy and in his grace, just like the kids saying, did you hear Romans 5, 8 in one of those songs? Even when we were God's enemies, God sent his son to die for us, to forgive us. That's the good news, that God has come to save us from our sins and that we can know him even when we don't deserve it. Well, that happens uh, when we turn from our sins and we trust what God has done and we enter the story. And it is a story worth celebrating. It's a story we should all be passing on. Well, let me give you real quickly what we hope and pray for. Uh, the last uh, things that I want you to see as we close. As we teach the scriptures, tell the stories, warn against sin and focus on God's mercy. What do we hope and pray for? And uh, maybe you notice this in verses five through eight, but there were a lot of times, depending on your translations, where you see the word so and you see the word then. These are, these are words and phrases that express purpose. And um, it says in verses five and six, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to your children. Everybody say so so the next generation might know them. 
And then in verse seven, it says, so each generation should set its hope anew on God or put its trust in God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. And then verse eight says, then, say then, then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Follow this, don't miss this. This is not just teaching and telling and, and warning and focusing for information's sake. It is for transformation's sake. So our lives are different. So what do we hope for? We do all these things that we've been talking about for these three reasons, and you can write them down. Number one, that the next generation will know God with their minds. They will know the truth about God. They will know his reality, who he is, so that they can have an intimate relationship with him. And again, I just wanna ask some of you parents, are you more concerned that your child gets academic accolades or athletic awards than you are that they know God? Your, your deepest desire for your kids should be what matters most. And Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 tells us this. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. What we should want most for our kids is that they know God. That should be the number one thing. And so we teach the scriptures and tell the stories and warn against sin and focus on mercy. We exalt the Savior in the hope that they will know God and it begins with knowing him in your mind. Secondly, the next generation will trust God in their hearts. Verse seven says, then they would put their trust in God, which is the same thing it means when it says hope anew in God. It's about trust and would not forget his deeds. We're not after just head knowledge. We want heart knowledge. We don't tell stories for the sake of stories. We, we tell them for heart change that our children will actually put their trust in God. And then third, that the next generation will obey God with their lives. See, it all leads to this. And everything before that doesn't have reality until it changes the way we live. Verse seven again, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would, what? Keep his commands. So we hope and pray that our kids will follow, know God and trust God so that they will obey God. And then verse eight says, then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Psalm 78 is an amazing, amazing psalm. And it lays out a path and really kind of a plan that all of us can follow in our lives. And I wonder, are you on this plan? And if you're not on this plan, I wanna tell you today, you can get on this plan, it's not hard. Don't make it complicated. All you have to do if you have little kids is just start telling them some Bible stories, helping them learn what God teaches in his word. And if your kids are older, the stories may be a little more complex, but that's okay. You can help them engage and you can 
let them ask their questions and you can do the best you can to answer their questions. And, and then if you can't answer their questions, you can say, you should talk to Pastor Mike. And I, I don't know what I'm gonna do if I can't answer their question. I don't have anybody to pass it on to, but you know, we just need to get in the game. We just need to start passing faith along. And maybe I was just thinking today, and again, uh, Pastor Chris uh, Martinez mentioned this in the announcements that VBS reminds us of how much we need all of us to participate in kids' ministry. Maybe the application of this message for some of you is that I'm gonna get involved with kids' ministry here at church. Uh, Pastor Chris Thielen did not pay me to make this announcement. This is not a recruitment campaign, but it could be simply an application of the word of God. And so I, I wanna put it out there. But when we stop and we step back and look at this, we see this clear call from God that all of us have a responsibility to pass our faith on, pass the faith on to the next generation, to tell them, are you part of this? Are you engaged in some way in this? It's why God saved you in part, not just to know him for your own sake, but to help others know him as well. And so will you join in this great grand story with us together? Will you bow your heads as we pray?